Okay, and good evening and welcome to another episode of When Movies Were Good. I'm Rachel and I'm here with my co-host, Matt. Good evening. On a lovely cold winter's night here in Melbourne. I hope everyone's travelling well out there. And thank you for joining us for our big Titanic films night that we're going to have here. Tonight we are discussing the 1953 film out of Hollywood, uh, Titanic, starring Barbara Stanwyck and Clifton Webb. And then out of the UK, about five years later, we have A Night to Remember, based on the famous book of the same name, um, regarding the final sort of days and moments of what life was like on the Titanic. So we've got two very interesting films to discuss here, Matt. I'm really looking forward to this one. Well, me too. It's a big topic. Actually, funnily enough, um, I was going around Facebook one night and I was on this Titanic uh, group, if you like, and I happened to see Matt's name pop up when he was asking a question. I thought, man, it's a small world. So I think it's definitely time that we did the Titanic films. And yeah, it's, I think so too. Um, they have so much to talk about, both in historical detail as well as film quality. I'm looking forward yeah. to our discussion. Yes, definitely. Yeah, so it was after I saw Matt in the group that I thought, oh, maybe we should definitely bring up these films. So we found two films from the era of films we um, talk about, obviously, sort of from, from the conception of film up to about 1959 are the films that we discuss. So we've got 1953 and 1958. So just briefly, for anybody out there who's not familiar with what happened to the Titanic, is one of the most famous shipwrecks of all time, although not in terms of number of people lost there's been many other more devastating shipwrecks to have occurred and sinkings of ships but this story of this ship that sank in 1912 just had a bit of everything to it didn't it Matt? Yes I mean 1500 lives lost is still a lot of people but it really brought to light a lot of the bureaucratic failings in maritime safety of the time also the uh, weaknesses in terms of class division yes. uh, when it's reflected in a, the safety during a disaster there was a clear revelation of how you could be very unequally treated if you were below deck that's true not to mention a lot of the management in sales in terms of communication yes that's right so with the more system that was just coming into use back then so um, as sad as the whole event was it really kind of changed the way that that transatlantic shipping went from there sometimes to save many lives it takes a great disaster to bring the problems to fall yeah that's that's very true so just briefly um i've had i'm in my sort of mid 40s now and i first got interested in the titanic when my mother dragged me along to a film that came out in 1982 maybe 1983 here in australia raise the titanic i don't know if anyone's familiar with that one uh the famous sort of um sort of a flop of a film really because I think people wanted to see more of the Titanic and you only kind of see it right at the end and it's only kind of part of the plot it's not the main driver of the plot they're trying to get to something that was on the Titanic but um, I saw that I the only thing that ever stayed with me in that film was the, the ship being raised of course that film was made prior to them confirming she'd split in half in 1985 when the wreck was discovered. So pretty much from that point onwards, since I was seven, I gave a talk in class about it, much to the surprise of my seven-year-old friends. And uh, I've had an interest in it ever since. Not, not, a, not a, um, uh, an obsessional interest in it, but I've always maintained an interest in it. 
some people can be dangerously obsessive with that <laughs> shit, but some yes. of those forums are really scary. Yeah, they are. Well, I was born in 1991, and so it was kind of inevitable that I saw a lot of the James Cameron version. Never in full, though, because it's such a long film, it always went past my bedtime. Yes. But the parts I always remember seeing over and over, and I love seeing, were the actual documentary footage of the ship below. Mm -hmm. It was just such an incredible and spooky thing to see these deteriorating forms, and I'm always procrastinating on YouTube and the like, still looking at documentaries to see different parts of the ship. Yes. Uh, and that are those that are preserved and not so well preserved under the water and yes. thinking about it all the time. Yes, I think really one of the best things that ever was preserved under the water from all the documentaries I've seen as well as the Turkish bathhouse. I suppose that's because of the tiles and, you know, uh, the fittings that they had, the brass and all the stuff that they had in there. That's really the only thing that's recognisable. And here's something that you won't believe about the pool on the Titanic. What? It actually still has water yeah. in it. <laughs> overflowing or <laughs> do they um yeah it is and it's it is kind of sad and it's i always have mixed feelings about when you know you see footage from the actual ship especially as it's deteriorating even more so now because essentially it is a mass graveyard whether anyone's left there or not or their actual physical bodies are still there it's still you know you, you just keep thinking about what it would have been like down there just after the ship had gone down like 15 minutes after it sunk to the bottom and the, the absolute carnage that would have been going on down there. So uh, I'm yeah, always, you know, it is so fascinating. And yeah, but what do you feel about that? Well, in many ways, as far as when people's lives ended, it really was at the surface. There was uh, people's bodies would have been littering down on the ground as it came. Mm. It is a controversial topic when you talk about moving objects from below there into museums. I think it would be a lot less controversial if it weren't for the fact that a lot of the artifacts have been sort of taken more on tour by special mm. salvage companies mm. if it were in the British Museum purely or a more academic setting like that it perhaps wouldn't be as controversial. Mm. Yes, yeah. It's yeah, there's a lot of controversies about it, but it, it is just such everything that could have gone wrong on that particular stretch of two or three hours on that night did go wrong. So there's a lot of folklore about the Titanic and a lot of arguing. It doesn't matter. The end, the end still always happens the same way as to the ship going down and the whole thing being an utter tragedy that could have been avoided but just seemed there was no way to avoid it in this particular case. It was just going to happen with a... And not to mention the attitude that it revealed in safety procedures that avoiding disaster is about avoiding the tragedy happening. There was a lot of faults in terms of how to deal with a bad situation when it occurred. That's right. And, um, yeah, so it, it definitely made things a lot better in terms of passengers travelling uh, traveling to and forth on that transatlantic line and, and also all around the world as well. So, um, so let's not get... To, it, go ahead. Uh, not to mention uh, radio and telegraph communications as well because uh, I hope we'll get to discuss a bit of that in uh, terms of the films we're discussing, but it did reveal a major weakness in how the wireless system operated between ship communication. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, some things were compulsory. Some ships didn't have anything that was compulsory. So so let's just dive right in. And thank you for bearing with us with our sort of long introduction. But it's always interesting to, to find out how people become interested in certain topics. So what we're going to do on this particular one is we're going to just quickly overview the films first. Then we're going to go down some major points that all Titanic films have to cover in their films 
for them to be about the Titanic and just do a bit of a comparison. So Titanic 1953 was a film that starred Clifton Webb, Barbara Stanwyck and a young Robert Wagner and Audrey Dalton as well as his sort of love interest in the film and a lot of sort of familiar faces in that film as well. It was directed by John Negolesco, written by Charles Brackett, Richard Breen and Walter Reich, uh, music by Sol Kaplan. A Night to Remember was made at Pinewood Studios in 1957, released in 58 directed by Roy Ward Baker, written by Eric Ambler, based off Walter Lord's very famous book, very simple, straightforward book he wrote called A Night to Remember. That's really kind of the uh, benchmark, I think, for telling the Titanic story. He spoke to a lot of people and did a lot of research into his book and starred Kenneth Moore on a Blackman and a very young David McCallum. People might know him as Ducky on NCIS, but that was one <laughs> of the first roles. I mean, he's a, sort of in, well into his 80s now, but that was one of his first roles in 1958. So just briefly, we've got two different takes on the Titanic story. I guess to do a film or a play or anything about the Titanic, you need some method of hooking the audience into the film to get up to the collision and the stinking. So the 1953 film with Clifton Webb, which was really a vehicle for him as a turn as a character actor, um, an unhappy couple take passage on the Titanic's tragic journey. And there's a lot of issues in their marriage which sort of plays out over the course of that journey and the people that they meet on that ship up into the sinking and uh, what happens with them during the sinking of the ship. And then the 1958 Night to Remember is just a really good overview of the tragedy of the Titanic right from when people were boarding and right to her end. Uh, so if we want to get started, what were, which story did you enjoy more? Definitely the later one, A Night to Remember. Mm -hmm. uh, conventionally, we do always view, review our films chronologically, and this is one situation where it's perhaps a little tragic because I've got to say the 1953 version, I think even taking into consideration how certain performances might be viewed differently over time, I just did not enjoy it nearly as much as A Night to Remember. Why do you think that was? What You just didn't like the story or what they chose to be presented in the story? Well, the 1953 version had the noble cause, and you see that in a lot of modern exhibitions about the Titanic, of trying to give some essence of life stories of people mm -hmm. going on to the Titanic. But the thing is, is that they were fictionalised. Yes. Uh, to an extent, perhaps, they were based on people that were more recently alive, and so they tried to create allusions to different people just to, so they didn't get in trouble mm. with their descendants. Yeah. The, but it just uh, did not pay enough historical attention, even though at the beginning in the intro, and it makes explicit reference to referring to nautical records and influencing the dialogue around the ship, that ironically had one of the least... Uh, acknowledgements of the events as they unfolded it was sort of crammed in at the end mm -hmm. and you had these uh, very fictitious stories made up in a slight allusion to people that were on the ship but completely different like you had the priest uh, or rather the uh, fired priest who was nothing like the mm. actual he, presumably that was referring to reverend um i forgot his name but uh, there was actually a catholic priest on board the ship and he went down with it even though he was offered a boat several times because he was determined to keep uh, hearing. Obviously in those times there were a lot of um, people on board that were wanting to 
Oh yeah, Thomas Biles. That's right. Um, they were wanting to hear his conf their confession mm -hmm. read before they died, and so he made sure he was on board to uh, do that and provide guidance and uh, support to everyone on board. And that's completely different from the fired priest that they were portraying as a, being a severe alcoholic problem. Yes, that's right. I do remember reading that. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think the thing is with uh, the 1953 film, it was made, um, from what I read, as a vehicle for Clifton Webb. And they had uh, Robert Wagner, the young Robert Wagner, and some other um, contracted players. And they essentially decided to just, yep, let's do a film about the Titanic and put all of them in there. And it sort of seemed like the story was fashioned around these certain people being in the film rather than the Titanic and her journey being the star and then fitting the characters in that way. Whereas in A Night to Remember, that's a bit more of the tack that they took because it was based off a book that was like presented that way. There were two things in the 1953 film that I really loved. Yep. That was Barbara Stanwyck's performance mm -hmm. and at the opening when they actually had the iceberg crumbling off the original ice block. Yeah. Sort of let the iceberg have its yeah. own story. <laughs> yes. Well, my favourite thing uh, that I liked in the 1953 film was definitely uh, Clifton Webb and his son Norman uh, in that film. I just thought that was heartbreaking and that real, gives real meaning to the tragedy. So for, if you haven't yet seen the film yet, obviously we give spoilers away in our podcast, but um, Clifton Webb's character finds out on the journey before the, before the collision that his much-beloved son, Norman, is not, in fact, his son, the product of an affair that Barbara Stanwyck, his wife, had. He begins pushing this poor young boy away as a teenager, um, pushing him away, and then, of course, when the collision happens, he thinks Norman's safe in a lifeboat, whatever, he's just going to go down with the ship, but this poor young boy gets back on the ship to be with his father and goes down on the ship with his father. So I just thought that was a real tragic... Thing. And I, I, I really enjoyed that. That was the, the aspect of the film that I, I found the most interesting. Of course, we did get to see um, some of the historical characters on um, the 1953 Titanic. We had Brian Ahern playing uh, Captain Smith. But yes, it just seemed like a bit of a mishmash of all different things. We didn't really have a very clear... Uh, we had this very sort of melodramatic plot with, with the Clifton Webb's family in the middle of it, which was fine. You need something to to bring the audience in. But I probably would have preferred to see a little bit more of the machinations going around the ship like we saw in A Night to Remember. Yes, the the fact that the ship actually sank at the end, it was just something they squeezed in. Yeah, yeah. It, they could have actually set it on another ship that had a collision and sank. It being the Titanic was just another sort of roundabout thing that happened in the film. Do you know what I mean? Like they could have set it on another ship and it would have been fine. Like, Or maybe just finish it absolutely at the moment the iceberg hits and be like, what was that? And yeah, just... yeah. Um, and, and A Night to Remember, I, I just think everyone did a really serviceable job. We really got to see a little of everybody. We got to see Captain Smith, obviously... Um, Lightoller was one of the main characters in the film, one of the officers who actually did survive the sinking. Uh, we got to see the other officers as well in various forms. The two young men uh, who were in the radio control room, uh, Bride and I'm, I'm going to, do you know the, the name of the other one, Matt? Bride, what was his name? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, no, I don't. That's okay. It was David McCallum's character and... Let me just quickly look it up. But we got to see um, we got to see that sort of thing, 
And I thought that was really interesting, not to mention the different people in the different classes. So it was Jack Phillips and Harold Bright, excuse me. So, you know, you can talk about a subject for years and years and then all of a sudden when you're on the spot, you completely forget about it. But we saw them, we saw what they were doing, their contact with the Carpathia, their, you know, the miscommunication with them and the Californian. I thought that was done all very well. Yeah, well, one of my favourite bits was actually how they reacted to the iceberg, the officers below and above deck. And I think they actually did it a lot more better and convincingly than how James Cameron did it, because in the one that everybody's uh, seen uh, from the 90s, it's done in such a dramatic, high-paced mm. fashion where you have a iceberg ahead and then harder mm. starboard and then even the people yeah. below deck who yeah. honestly could have had no idea yeah. what was going on yeah. and they're suddenly they're in a panic. Yes. Yeah. Whereas in the in the 1958 version, it's uh, done much more professionally. Where it's like harder starboard. Yes. Cling cling. Is what I think. Uh, they've ordered. Be. They've ordered a change of engines. Yeah, that's right. And they had no idea how much damage had been done at the start. They had no idea. They thought they dropped a propeller or something like that. Something that could be repaired had happened. So. You're right, and even in even in um, the 1953 Titanic, it was probably handled a bit closer to how how it would have happened. Yes, definitely the 1997 film played everything. You know, you see the close-ups of Murdoch's face turn, turn. So I, <laughs> I don't think it would have had that reaction. You get you know? it. You get away with it just because it's crammed into such a tight space and with the dramatic music that you forget that it's actually logically impossible how they're playing it. Yeah. Yeah, and um, look, I thought, think both films did fine with the pacing of the film up until the collision. And then, of course, really, when you're going to see a Titanic film, you're waiting for the collision and then everyone getting off the boat. So that's the thing that everyone's playing. That's the scenario that everyone plays out in their mind. What would I do? Tie two deck chairs together, jump in a boat, jump off, you know. Well, what I think would be an interesting concert is because I think it took about roughly two hours and 20 minutes, two that's hours right. and 30 minutes from yeah. when the iceberg hit to when it um, sank. Yeah. That is a longer a longer uh, one, but it's actually almost the time frame in which a film could be right. made. So it would yeah. be interesting if you were to have in real time. Yeah, you could actually do, and probably some of our listeners out there have seen that on, a Titanic Honor and Glories, real-time sinking of the Titanic. They have the animation of the Titanic sinking in real time. And that would be, I mean, it'd be a long film, but it would be a fantastic film. To, you could just call it collision or something or sinking and just have it from the minute they hit that berg to what everyone's doing, all the different people on the ship are doing and how they're, how they're trying to survive really would be an interesting film, I think. Well, it has been done before where they've had a very specific incident with a time frame often based on historical detail and they're uh, playing it out in real time. So I think it is an interesting challenge. Of course, it is a challenge whenever you're doing a historical film because people know mm. what is going to happen and so they need to find some way to give them an emotional stake in the story. So yes. James Caron decided to have a phony love couple yeah. and you wonder <laughs> if they're going to survive or not. Yeah, I yeah, that was much consternation to me. I mean, I've seen the Cameron film several times just because I like watching the ending sequence, but... The stuff leading up to that's not really my cup of tea. I probably prefer the 1953 sort of melodrama that they've got going and, there. And funnily enough, the 1953 version has aged better than the 1990s computer yeah, graphics. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, that's a good segue onto the next section that we'll talk about for both films, sets and special effects. 
So let's face it, I think Night to Remember did it a bit better. They had yeah. larger sets to work with. They were five years more advanced. Obviously, they were using models and matte, matte, matte finishes at the back and a bit of... Would they have had green screen then or how would they have done some of those um, sequences? It looked like they were sort of sitting, there was there was like a film, you know, on the wall behind mm. them and they were sitting in front of it. Not green screen as we know it with animated films, say, where you have, where that's just a, so you can easily with computer graphics afterwards change the background. But what they would have had was a rear projection. Rear projection, yes. Which was... Uh, Usually two reasons that uh, you'd have that, either because of budgetary restraints, you couldn't go on location, or you didn't want the inconvenience of uh, shooting outdoors, or, as became the case more when they introduced CinemaScope and other wide-scale formats, depending on how close up you were to the main subject, you, you may or may not be able to have the background in focus uh, in a real life, so you have to make adjustments that way. Yes. And that's why um, it's quite a bit peculiar in a lot of the debates over Hitchcock and his use of re reprojection and all this discussion about him trying to insert his creative presence into it by using reprojection, and many people forget the practical reasons that could have gone into that a lot of the time. Oh, okay. Yes, that, sorry, that was the term I was looking for, rear screen. Because then there is um, front screen projection, but that's not in the era of films that we're, we're talking about. That was like 2001 Space Odyssey and stuff. That was a different way that they did it. I'm not, not really sure about that particular technique. But I think generally A Night to Remember did special effects superbly, especially considering the technological restraints. The one weakness I found was probably when they showed lifeboats in the dis lifeboats in the distance, and the ship going down, which looked a bit tacky. Which I think was just because of um, the scale that they were trying to work in uh, against the model. Okay. And I think that was. Personally, I would have just given up on that particular shot. and mm. Because what we saw about 10 years after this one in 2001, A Space Odyssey, mm. or maybe not quite yeah. that, is when they have that uh, the scenes in space with the ship where it's a model yeah. and everything's just so convincingly done. Yeah. And it just shows you what can be done with a model. Yeah. You just have to make sure you have the right camera angles, and particularly in the case of Titanic, where it's shown clutching against water, mm. that you have the camera set at just the right distance so the bubbles look convincingly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, up until James Cameron made his Titanic in 1997, they never had such a mass scale rep replica of the ship to work with. So everything, the miniseries, everything that I've ever seen up until that time, always worked with different models some with more success. I still think to this day, the Razor Titanic model, that massive model that they did, I still think that worked actually pretty well with the music, the it everything. Wa it was uh, excellent. Um, the There are a few angles where the water, it's, the, it's just not foaming at just yeah. the right size. Yes. And I suppose I am a rather finicky with yeah. those sorts of things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, some of, some of these things are interesting, but it just gives you that more, yeah, definitely in A Night to Remember, I had a lot more buy-in. You saw more of the ship. You saw more of the boats being lowered. You saw more of the bridge. You saw, it, it was just some of those little things. You need to, in a Titanic film, you need to really get that sense you're on that boat deck with them while this is all happening. And I definitely got, we just didn't see enough of that in the 1953 film. The shots were quite quite close and... I just don't think we saw enough of that, really. Yes, the 
ship's story itself was paid much more homage to in A Night to Remember, and it wasn't just the background for a family drama. Yeah, that's true. So we'll move a little bit further on to the costuming and this actually how the sets looked. In the 1953 film, it just didn't come across to me like they were on the Titanic. It could have been any other transatlantic passenger line, even from 1953. It didn't particularly come across as like, you know, sort of the era, 1912, even the costuming to a degree, whereas in A Night to Remember it did. Yes, and in the 1953 version, they didn't even pay that. Uh, they had some rather weird explosions in terms of how the ship was sinking, which... Yeah. Even at that time, even the, mo- even the most basic reading yeah. would have been known to not work. Yes, yes. So just to, in both of these films, the ship is shown going down intact, which was the commonly held theory at the time, even though many survivors in the boats had testified that they saw the ship break in half. That was not the accepted, the accepted um, story was that she went down in one piece, yep. It wasn't until they could examine the wreck in person in the mid-80s That's that right. they were able to confirm that the ship split in two, sort of, as yeah. it was uh, descending. Yeah, so it was sort of, I, um, this is way before Matt's time, but I remember when that happened, and I remember actually seeing the newspaper and on the front of the old sun, back here in Victoria, it's now the Herald Sun, but back on the old sun, they actually, had, we found the Titanic. It was actually amazing, but it was such a big deal. It was a, it was on, it was like the lead story on the news reports all over the world that this, um, that they'd actually found the Titanic and actually reading about how they found her and all the. And not even just that you find it, but that you're actually have good enough technology to, even if it's rather grainy, to actually see it. Yes. Like I have one of my grandfather's old National Geographics from the seventies when they had found the Mary Rose, which yes. is one of Henry VIII's uh, fleet. Yes. Yeah. And they actually had like a coloured watercolour, a very detailed one, showing the ship just because they didn't have the photographic technology to do it properly. Yes. No, I mean, it's just, yeah, I remember it like yesterday, actually. It was really, but I'd already been into the Titanic for a few years by then. So I was like, oh my God, mum, or Rose, as she's now known. Oh, they found the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, so it's quite, oh, my mum's like, oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. So, but it was really interesting. But I definitely got a sense of being on the Titanic more in A Night to Remember. And that's nothing against the 1953 film. That was trying to do something a little bit different. It was a sort of love story and tragedy. And and I think they actually did that quite well. I mean, some of those scenes with Barbara Stanwyck in the lifeboat when she finds out her son is actually still on the ship with his father, who's actually not his father. I thought that was actually quite heartbreaking. And, you know, I'm sure there were many stories like that. People thought one of their loved ones had got off and then they found out later on that they actually hadn't at all. So... Um, and so the sinking scenes, yep, they're working with models, but, you know, I thought they were pretty effective. I mean, what, what can they do, really? Like, you know. Yes, well, they can't, they couldn't actually use the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> and there was no, unfortunately, because um, obviously, as most aficionados out there would know, the Titanic was one of three sisters. Her, unfortunately, younger sister, the Britannic, is at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, having been sunk as a hospital ship in World War One, and she met a very untimely death as well. Uh, but her eldest sister, uh, the Olympic, sailed on, you know, just like an old goat she was until the 19, I believe, 30s, and they actually scrapped her in the Mauritania 
one of the Cunard Lines um, flagship ships as well at the same time. It's just a tragedy seeing them in the scrapyard together. It's like if you just kept that ship, but they, yeah. that was not what they were about back then. So and, and you've got to feel for the people in the accounts department at Harlan and Wolf and stuff where they're like, oh, we keep losing these ships. <laughs> Well, our money's sinking. Yeah, literally sinking. But I thought the, yeah, definitely on a night to remember, we got to see, um, just to go over what we'd already said, we got to see a lot more of the what was happening on the boat deck, trying to get the boats down, seeing the boats being lowered into the water, seeing the passengers looking over the boats into the water. We didn't get a heck of a lot of that in the 1953 film. And that was, for many people who were on the boat, do I jump? Do I try and stay on? A lot of people who jumped actually broke their necks because they were jumping from such a high level. And when their life jackets actually hit the water, yeah. that sort of difference in energy and inertia, you're going down, the life jacket's going up. I mean, they, you know, before they even froze to death, they'd already broken their neck, you know? Or getting injured by uh, pieces of furniture made buoyant as it's going underwater and the like rising up. I didn't actually know this until recently, but apparently the Grand Staircase, there's evidence that it may have actually been forced up out of its sockets, quite literally, by uh, water as it was going downwards. Yeah, because all of the all of the um, all of the pictures I've ever seen of the area of the Grand, it's just not it's just nothing there. So well, even, even early, if the yeah. staircase had stayed in place, yeah. it would have um, rotted decades yeah. ago. But apparently, even as it was going down, it's possible. Because obviously the staircase wasn't designed to be float-proof. Yep. Uh, so uh, as it got lower, it may have become buoyant enough to sort of tear upwards. That's right. I mean, the ship was completely and utterly decimated, especially the stern. It was just obliterated yeah. because the way, at least the bow kind of fell kind of right into the sediment but the stern was just completely obliterated. Yeah. So Even full of water, the bow yeah. was still aerodynamically yeah. designed so it was going to go smoothly yes yeah whereas the poor old stern is just when you as everyone probably knows from their own explorations into the titanic wreck whenever you see anything of particular interest it's normally always from the bow because the stern is just so smashed to pieces that it's really hard to sort of see anything from it. Well, when the stern was pulled down by both the water-filled bow and gravity, mm. uh, because it was still filled with air, it had an implosion while well, well, it was maybe a kilometre or so just below the surface. Yes. Which would have made it into a real mess. Yes. it's Yeah, I mean, even just the way the ship sank, it was everything, once it sort of broke apart, as violent as that happened... Um, and we only ever have seen that. Actually, there was a miniseries 1998, a really sort of over-the-top NBC um, miniseries called Titanic. And George C. Scott was playing uh, Captain Smith, um, a young Catherine Zeta-Jones was in it, Peter Gallagher was in it. Not too bad, did not have the money to do the sinking the way that they wanted to do it. So essentially they just had all these sweeping shots of the people falling down the deck, but they did actually show... The ship, uh, the ship breaking in part. It yeah. actually, it I think it actually came out before Cameron's one, so I think it could have been ninety five, ninety six, but they actually did show the ship breaking apart in a very rudimentary way. Although it was all sort of like smoke and mirrors, you didn't really, you didn't really see um, too much of that. But it was kind of an interesting take. And as I understand, it wasn't so much like a like a cookie snapping. It was more like um, you'd have a, all the decks sort of squeezing on each other. 
Yes, that's that's right. That's everything that I've... Oh, yes, that was 1996 and then James Cameron's... Yeah, this one came out. And, yeah, that, that, that particular um, miniseries is quite interesting. Some of the dialogue is very... Uh, you know, you've got Captain Smith in that film saying, oh, you should have run the ship into the front of the iceberg. It would have stayed... <laughs> How would he have known that then? That's only something they came up with lately that, you know, oh, my God, it was It wasn't even on hilarious. duty at the time. Yeah, exactly. And, like, he came up, like, he came up, he's like... And mind you, he's speaking an American accent, so... <laughs> But you know what? It's got the Titanic in it, so it's watchable. It's not too bad. Well, if he was going to have an American accent, they should have got Gregory Peck to play Yeah, they should have. But look, it's got the Titanic in it. It was watchable. Um, So before we sort of wind down into some other things, my favourite... I did enjoy both of the films that we looked at tonight, 1953 and 1958. I thought both of them had good things about it. Enjoyed A Night to Remember More, but have a fondness for the 1953 film because I watched that a lot when I was growing up and I love Robert Wagner so uh, I always even that song he sings in the film remember he was singing the song to her on the boat deck about the Navajo rag I actually know the lyrics to that song because I used to sing along with him back when I was a teenager I actually was singing it when I was watching it the other night I was like oh my god I can't believe I still remember the lyrics to that song so but my favourite Titanic film um, actually it was originally cut as a miniseries, but most of the time they cut it down and put it into it like a long film. It was uh, late 70s, SOS Titanic, starring the late great Ian Holm. And Matt, you should check that film out. I it's will. It's very atmospheric. Uh, it's got a very dark, brooding look about it. It's kind of told from Bruce Ismay's perspective. He's standing on the, the Carpathia um, and looking out into the ocean in complete shock. And from everything I've read about Ismay, he was in shock and he never, ever lived down what happened that night on the ship and sort of died a broken man. So whether that's a good or bad thing, I don't know. But that has always... Susan St. James, David Warner, who was in the other Titanic movie, 1997 as well. um, I just... The whole thing... It just, it really appealed to me. Um, yeah, you've got to feel um, bad for Ismay because, like, he didn't uh, steal a woman or child spot on the boat. He was just uh, jumped on when there was plenty of spots left in that particular boat and there was no one else around. Mm, it was yeah. just that he didn't follow the Victorian logic of falling on your sword. Yeah, that's right. I suppose if he'd survived by swimming off the ship and just, you know, doing what he could to survive like Jack Thayer and Major Poochin and some of these other characters who, you know, swung out and got onto a boat and managed to survive. Or drunk himself silly if he could just um, (laughs) uh, keep afloat that way. Yes, that's right. Like the baker. Yes, the baker. Uh, So, you know, that's always been my favourite film. I would like Matt to watch that and see. It's not that it's an exact representation of the Titanic. It's not that the sets are flawless or anything like that. They are using a model... But you just really get a sense of how cold it was, how desperate they were. Um, you get a sense of that foreboding sort of what's going to happen from the start of the whole thing. And I've just always, that's always been my favourite Titanic um, film. 
Yes, well, talking of how cold it was, did you ever see the exhibit at the Melbourne Museum to do with the Titanic? Yeah, I did, actually. Do you remember that ice wall that you could yeah, actually touch? Yeah, Appar- Like, I could barely keep my hand on that ice wall, but apparently that wasn't even as cold as the ice yeah. would have been there because yeah. that was saltwater ice. Yeah. And so it would have had to have been even colder. Yeah, it just, the whole thing was, yeah, that was actually really interesting. But the one thing I always, I was, of course, giving my running commentary going around and my friend was like, oh my God, could you be speaking any louder? But essentially, the best parts of those exhibitions, as interesting as it is to see the stuff that they collected from, from the wreck itself, which, you know, you have to pay homage to that. But the best stuff of those things is always the replicas they build of the rooms, of the grand yeah. staircase. Uh, and that was one thing that A Night to Remember did better. You saw more of the design of the ship the lounge areas, the eating areas, third class. Obviously, no one did it quite as well as the Cameron movie because that had the money to spend on replicating everything. But, you know, that's what we want to see. We want to see what the cabin was like. We want to walk up the grand staircase. That's yes. always the interesting yes. thing. To see all that fantabulous design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's just, you know, what life was like and then that last mad two, three hours of the ship. So as we're sort of winding down here, these are things that all Titanic films sort of have to cover from one degree or another, from the cheapest to the most expensive and some of the sort of, not tropes, but some of the folklore. So obviously we've got The Drunk Baker. We always saw that in the 1997 film. We did see that in A Night to Remember. Uh, We didn't actually see The Drunk Baker in the 1997 film. That was actually one of the cut-out scenes. Was it? But I think the only time we saw him was when he was hanging off the back of the ship. You know, he was hanging off the stern with them. I think that Maybe. was the only the time. If you rewatch that, I think he's up there with them. That's where I remember him from, because I know that they did cut out quite a lot in, in Cameron's film, obviously. It was long enough as it was. Yeah. But I think he's up there when they're actually... Yeah, right, you're actually going to do that. But he was actually up there with them. The drunk baker. So he was up there, and that's kind of everybody who knows the story. Oh, there's the drunk baker. But he was in A Night to Remember. I loved in A Night to Remember all the loaves of bread in the kitchen falling over and everything. Yeah, and I think in SOS Titanic, my favourite Titanic film, you do see that. You do see everything spilling over, but there's a particularly heartbreaking shot in SOS Titanic where a little toddler is just sitting on the deck screaming and the water is just running over her legs as everyone's screaming and running by her and I thought oh my god you know obviously the mother's dropped her or fallen over or something and oh the whole thing's just heartbreaking then of course we've got the famous what did you see after um the um the boys ring the bell and iceberg right ahead I think that's fairly accepted that they did say something along those lines though yeah it's yeah uh, they have that in every film. film. What did you see? And then, of yeah. course, we've got the various incarnations of Molly Brown. You can't have a Titanic film, <laughs> nope. film without Molly Brown. And or Mr. and Mrs. Strauss, who are the owners of Macy's, who went down together. And they kind of, you know, in the 1953, they were standing, they, and, and in A Night to Remember, I think they were standing on the, the bridge, but in the 1997 film, they were in bed together, which I don't think they would have... Do you remember that? The water was going under the bed and they D- were like... Didn't, hop- they, didn't they sit on deck chairs or something? Yeah, there's been a couple. A lot of the ones that I've seen, they've always been on the deck, but in Cameron's film, they were in bed together when the water was coming in. You'll have to revisit that because I was just sitting here because I actually saw that in the cinema when it first came out and I just was like, come on. like. <laughs> 
Of course, yes. we've got all the, the machinations with the wireless operators. Uh, we did see them in, in both of these films. You can't have a Titanic film without concentrating on the wireless operators and sending out the CQD, MG, MY, SOS, all that sort of stuff. It's actually really interesting to read through the transcripts they have of all the messages that they sent out. Well, you can even hear on YouTube videos where they perfectly recreate the uh, wireless conversations. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Come quick, old man, we're going down. <laughs> I know, it's nothing to laugh at, but sort of the language that they use wouldn't be what we were, would use. And uh, But it shows some of the basic weaknesses uh, that are just didn't occur to a management because the reason why... Uh, the a, a nearer ship that could have been there in like half the time of, of the Carpathia didn't arrive was because in that time the wireless operators were actually like independently yes, contracted yes. Yeah, and right. uh, yep. their main job was yep. simply to send messages paid for by passengers yes, that they yep. could actually save lives by yeah. sending reports yeah. of danger yeah. was an extra bonus. Yeah, and um, so that was one of the good things that came out of the disaster that everything became a lot more official and you had to have people on trained and proper procedures and and actually have somebody at the radio 24 hours yes, and that yeah. it wasn't that you just hope nothing bad happened when they went to bed yes that's right and which is essentially what happened on the californian so uh and then of course we've got andrews you know in the lounge looking at the clock we pretty much have that in every titanic story that he's either talking yeah. to someone or on his own or someone's running past him aren't you going to make a try for it so they have that in every every Titanic. And, of course, Smith on the bridge, alone, waiting for the water to come in, maybe walking around the bridge before it uh, gets taken under. Although there's... Uh, I've read accounts that he was in the water trying to save people, so... Honestly, I think a trained sea captain would have been more likely trying to aid people while he yes. physically could and not be standing yes. like a, a ghost yeah. at the helm. Yeah, I find it hard to believe Andrews would have been doing the same thing if they felt that responsibility for this terrible accident. Um, you know, Murdoch, the first officer who was on the bridge at the time. So, you know, they and, and it's a night's work. They're at work. You know, you sort of forget that this is my job and, oh, my God, this has happened. But, you know, all the men in the boiler room, they just kept working. Oh, we're going to die here. Well... That wasn't what they were thinking about. Like, and the added responsibility on the wireless men because basically all that that was happening, although I doubt they uh, knew it at, or thought about it at the time, but all the efforts of uh, keeping the fires stoked and everything yes. below with the water coming yeah. in was so they could yeah. keep sending messages. Yeah, you actually sort of forget that these people were at their job when this happened and they couldn't just run off and try to get off on a boat. They actually had a, a job to do and it's actually amazing how brave they... They all were. Uh, actually, the whole engineering um, team uh, stayed on uh, post uh, till the very end, including just the uh, like the clerk, who I yeah. think was just there to sort of man reception. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. And then we've got, of course, the young man found in the lifeboat, dressed up as a with a scarf over the head, dressed up as a woman. There's folklore that 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 some of the passengers discovered that there was a young man dressed up. So I'm sure that has some credibility to it. And pretty much every Titanic film miniseries has that referenced in it. Then we've got like uh, Cosmo Duff Gordon, you know, the sportsman from Scotland who apparently went out on boat number one and uh, didn't want the people that were manning his boat to go back, although the, he re refuted that claim. But they normally always have a version of his character in the film. 
and then more or less depending on how in-depth what's happening on the Carpathia and maybe even what's happening in the Californian and we had both of that in a night to remember and a bit in 1953 so yeah it was definitely interesting for sure. Yeah, it's an amazing couple of films. It's an amazing couple of films. And, and we encourage you, actually, in fact, to watch anything on the Titanic because it's interesting just to see... Not conspiracy, boys. <laughs> some of, yeah, there's some really good documentaries out there. I think one of my favourite is Titanic Case Closed, where uh, the gentleman who's researching it actually goes back to the old logbooks from 1912 and, you know... Uh, delves into the theory about you know how you can have a mirage in the desert you can have a mirage on the ice as well on water that's very cold with warmer with warmer air above it and from everything that the ships were saying in the area like the mount temple and other ships that were around the titanic was extremely hazy that night things that seemed like they were on the horizon maybe weren't because the californian always reported that they thought they saw a small steamer not a passenger ship um, and that's why they weren't too worried about anything. They just thought it was a small steamer stopped for the night because when they looked through their eyeglasses, yeah. that's what they saw. Like there was a distortion on the water, not a massive passenger liner as the Titanic was. And then, of course, when they didn't see the steamer in, in, in quotes anymore, they assumed that she'd sailed away, but in fact the ship had sunk. Uh, mind you, they also uh, weren't they also the ones that sort of uh, assumed the rockets being fired were just yes. like New Year's Eve celebrations, yeah, or something? like celebrations or warning the ships that they'd stopped. It was just a calamity of errors. Like there were certain colours that were supposed to be used, but the colours weren't being used by the Titanic. And complete, if someone else had investigated it more and turned on the Morse, and hey, yep, we'll be there in you know twenty minutes or whatever, but. It just it never, it was just, it was something that was a disaster that was mm. going to happen. Do you know that even if they did have enough lifeboats, mm. it wouldn't have made a difference because they just simply couldn't, like they barely, the ones they had, they barely got unloaded in time. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and especially, I mean, even her ship, the Britannic, just had no chance to lower all of her lifeboats because of the heavy list she took when the torpedo struck her. So the whole thing was just, I guess, with the Titanic, if you're in a ship that's on a ship that's sinking in slightly warmer water, yes, there's exposure and other things in the elements, but you've got a shot if you're in the water to maybe survive and someone picks you up, but not for the Titanic. I mean, there was just, you, there was no swimming anywhere. There was no, it was just deathly cold in the water as well. What's scary about that problem with the Britannia and her lifeboats is that actually the Costa Concordia, which only, a disaster which only happened, what, 10 years ago? Yeah, at 2012, I think, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're about, they had the exact same problem with the lifeboats where because the ship was heavily listing until yeah. it eventually capsized, yeah. uh, basically half the lifeboats, because they were still using the old system of you have the divot that reach, reaches out with the lifeboat, if the ship is uh, listing one way, basically half your lifeboats become useless. That's exactly right. Yeah, some of the footage off that Costa Concordia. And then, of course, you know, the worst maritime disaster was, you know, in World War II, the Willem Gustelof, which was a German, I guess, warship, I guess you'd say, who was carrying 9,000 or so passengers and went down. And it was all very hush-hush, but that's 9,000 people died on that ship. And then in 1987, you had the Dona Paz, which was a Filipino um, ferry-like ship that they had in 4,300 people died on that. So the Titanic, it's its just the stuff of legends. It was the time, the events, everything surrounding it. Like Matt said, the class structure on the ship, the Gilded Age, you know, man versus technology, all that, everything that you could have 
in a massively tragic story just naturally is in the Titanic story. Yeah, it's, uh, it has everything you need. It has everything you need. Well, we enjoyed this. I certainly enjoyed it. It's an easy topic for us to talk about, and as you can tell, we could probably go on for about 20 hours about, about all this. Do you want to make a try for it? <laughs> we'll, we'll need more tea. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But um, we actually have another exciting double coming for you in light of everything that's happening in the world at the moment. It could be slightly controversial or maybe not. We've got another big double coming your way, um, and it's about... Abraham Lincoln, one of the most famous American presidents. We've got 1930s Abraham Lincoln with uh, Walter Houston in it. Very interesting biopic about uh, Abraham Lincoln. And then another one focusing on another area of his life, 1939, young Mr. Lincoln starring a young Henry Fonda. I thought that might be an interesting double. Very much. Very much so. So thank you for joining us tonight. We had a lot of fun discussing the Titanic. I'm sure perhaps if there are some other Titanic films from the era that we are involved in, uh, I think there's a German one and some other ones, so it might be something to revisit in the future. So keep a lookout for that if we decide to do that. But thank you so much. Um, and uh, we hope to see you on the next episode. So in the meantime, I'm Rachel. I'm Matthew. And we're watching good movies. We'll see you next time.